The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning. My name is Robert. And please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. And I will be reading in Dutch. Verblijt u in de Heere. Verblijt u altijd in de Heere. Ik zeg het opnieuw. Verblijt u. Uw welwillendheid zij alle mensen bekend. De Heere is nabij. Wees in geen ding bezorgd. Maar laat uw verlangens in alles... <laughs> laat uw verlangens in alles... door bidden en smeken met dankzegging bekend worden bij God. En de vrede van God die alle begrip te boven gaat... zal uw harten en uw gedachten bewaken in Christus Jezus. Verder broeders... Al wat waar is, al wat eerbaar is, al wat rechtvaardig is, al wat rein is, al wat lieflijk is, al wat, al wat welluidend is. Als er enige deugd is en als er iets prijzenswaardig is, bedenk dat. Wat u ook geleerd en ontvangen en gehoord en in mij gezien hebt, doe dat en de God van de vrede zal met u zijn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Robert. Sorry, I'm a, I breathe heavy sometimes. Jared makes fun of me because of it. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing all right? Man, I'm going to apologize now because I'm an emotional wreck for several reasons, but I'll get to that in a bit. Uh, one of those reasons is that I'm here this morning with you guys. My name is, yeah, give a hand to that. Uh, my name is Samir. I have the honor of pastoring and planting our Granada Hills location. Um, so if you have not been here within the last year, um, I have, if, yeah, I have not met you until now. So it's good to see you, good to meet you. I haven't been back on a Sunday since we launched at Granada. So this is uh, an emotional kind of exciting time and May, Mayfields are weird and I'm just like, what? Like, so it's kind of coming around full circle in some weird ways. Um, and I'm just excited to be here with you guys and, and just be grateful for our church family here in Burbank and just the joy of what's happened within the last year in Granada Hills with the family and, and the ministry and the gospel work that God has been doing in Granada Hills has been amazing and, and complete miracle of God. Every single moment we are grateful. Um, and it's hard to even put all of it to words. Uh, and so we have a little video for you to kind of show you 
the last year of ministry in Granada Hills um, and to just thank you guys and, and really just uh, praise the Lord with you in the midst of that. So let's show that. Wow, I just got lost in the video. I kind of forgot where I was for a moment. Um, just want to thank you all that have been just a part of the church movement that God is doing in multiplying into another location. As a church here at Story City, we believe that God moves in church plants. We believe that God calls us to love and serve the neighborhoods we call home. Um, and I just want to say from your sacrifice, from your dedication, from your prayers, that God is doing that in Granada Hills. And it's an absolute joy to serve in that capacity. So I just want to thank you guys. Can we give you guys a hand, the church here at Burbank, and just thank you for all that you're doing um, and the leadership here. I just am grateful. I want to pray for us before we dive into today's message, um, and then we'll move forward. Let me pray. God, we are humbled by your power, by your move, by your presence, by your willingness to empower us by your spirit to see impact in the communities that we love and that we serve, and to see the gospel move, and to see people baptized, and to see um, people reached that didn't even know there was a church in the community, or even know about Jesus. But we're seeing that and hearing those stories daily here in Burbank and in Granada Hills, and we are grateful and overwhelmed. We thank you for all that you're doing, Lord, here um, in the midst, not only through us, but Lord, in us, as you are shaping our hearts to be more like your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for this moment. Thank you for this morning. We thank you for all of your blessings and all, everyone here this morning. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm really glad you're here this morning. I'm glad I'm here this morning, uh, and it's a joy to be with you. Um, however, it is, it is a, a heavy hearted season for me and my family. Um, it's been a tough couple weeks. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but um, I am a Palestinian uh, Christian, obviously, and a pastor. Uh, and so I am uh, very unique in, um, in the call I've been given. Um, and because of that call, it's been a heavy, heavy hearted week for me and my family. Um, I do have family in Palestine. Uh, I do have distant cousins that are in Gaza, and I have most of my family are in the West Bank um, and in Jerusalem. And so it's been hard. Um, conflict and war and people dying in the unjust and the pain and the um, innocence that is taken is heart-wrenching, painful. It takes a toll. It's been taking a toll on me emotionally within the last couple of weeks. And I reach out to my family there, and a lot of them share how this is common because they grew up with it. And it's a normal thing. But it is somewhat unique this time around. Because the 
the uncertainty of what that means worldwide as well is scary. But I, I've been personally feeling a lot of weight, a lot of moments of sadness and, and, and despair and even anger, anger at, at evil in and of itself and, and the hurt and the pain that, that it's not about politics, it's not about governments, it's not about any of that, it's about humanity and it's about the kingdom of God. There are Christians being killed right now. And there are Arab Christians, if you didn't know, Palestinian Christians that are being killed. Let's pray for the kingdom of God to move forward because there are people of the church on the ground partnering with Messianic Jewish leaders that are desiring and praying for peace and for the gospel to move forth in that area. And so there is, a, there is a hope there. And today it really is God's kindness to give us this passage, give me this passage of gospel peace. What is gospel peace? How important is it in the midst of despair and pain and suffering to understand gospel peace, not just a theory, not just a hope, but also uh, today and now internally what is happening in our souls. And whether you're going through turmoil like war or pain uh, like that, or you're going through internal struggles of family despair, uncertainty with finances, just the life struggles, the despair within our souls, gospel peace is essential for every single human. I hope not just to give theory, but to give practicality to what is God saying in this. How do we live that? How do we walk in gospel peace when we are hurting, when we are uncertain, when we are anxious? This gospel peace, it's not just theoretical, but it's life-changing reality. So Paul is writing to the Philippian church in the passage we just read. And the Philippian church is in a season of trying to figure out this understanding of gospel peace, of, of, of gospel partnership with Paul and with Jesus and, and the different perspectives of theories of how to live a life in Christ, how to live firm in your faith and humble and humbly imitate Christ in the midst of chaos and confusion and misunderstanding. Even in the midst of poverty or in the midst of much and wealth, how do we rejoice? How do we live in the midst of peace and gospel clarity in this moment? So the Philippians are not that far off from what our desires and needs are here and today. Really brings me to my big idea for today. The big idea is that no matter how hard the battle, gospel peace wins. No matter how hard the battle, gospel peace wins. So let's explore together how this gospel peace can be our guiding light. How and, and when and what do we do when the world and in our inner soul is in chaos 
and confusion and despair, how does gospel peace then win? What does that look like in the midst of our day-to-day? What does that look like in the midst of our pain and our uncertainty and our confusion? What does it look like to live in peace when it seems like it's impossible for peace to be there? So how does gospel peace win? There are three ways it wins in accordance to the passage we just read. The first one is when we rejoice. When we rejoice because the Lord is near. When we rejoice because the Lord is near. This one is like, what? How do you rejoice in the midst of pain and uncertainty? Let's read the uh, verses 4 and 5. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. You see, the gladness of our heart overflows when we recognize the reality that God is near to us. Because if we forget where we have come from, if we forget what God had to do in the midst of sending his son and dying and sacrificing himself so that he can be near to us, we forget the joy that is in us because of what he has done for us. When we forget what we were prior to knowing God, the pain and the despair and the agony and the hopelessness and nowhere to turn in the midst of despair prior, now we have God with us in the midst of our despair so we can rejoice because we have the God who reigns on the throne with us in the midst of our pain. Ephesians 2, 1 through 8 remind us of what this is. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture. This is Paul also. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Talking about when you, before you knew Jesus. In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air. The spirit now working in disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God, who was rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. What else is there to rejoice about? It is the greatest thing to rejoice in, that he is with us. He is with us in the pain. He is with us in our despair. He is with us throughout our struggles. Because prior to him being with us, he wasn't with us. What? So in the midst of it, his presence 
is an assurance. His presence is a comfort. His presence is security that is worthy of gratitude and pure joy. So to pause and rejoice that God's grace, he is with me in my pain. I can rejoice in this good news and still feel the pain that I feel. Because joy is not void of pain. It's just the affirmation of his presence. You see, joy, I'm going to say it again, is not void of pain when we're in a hard spot. But it's just the affirmation of his presence with us. See, now I'm not sure what your typical response is in the midst of turmoil or hurt or pain or suffering or uncertainty. But me, I tend to want to withdraw. That's what I do. I want to withdraw from those that love me. I want to withdraw from those that care. I want to withdraw from the good things around me and actually go to things that are going to distract me from my pain. Distract me from my loneliness is something I struggle with in the midst of hardship. Loneliness. I want to do things that distract me from that pain, sadness. But really all that's doing is stuffing down the hurt and later actually feels worse. So in challenging times, it's easy to let despair creep in and avoid rejoicing in the fact that he is with us. So remember that our source of joy is not circumstantial, but it's rooted in the unchanging character and presence of God, of our Lord Jesus with us. So our first step in gospel peace in our very heart and soul in the midst of turmoil is that we rejoice in the gratitude that he is with us even in the midst of the pain. We start with joy because he is there. Second one, second way that gospel peace wins is that we can then rest because the Lord fights our battles. Rest because the Lord fights our battles. Verses 6 through 7 says, don't worry about anything. That's easy for you to say, Paul. Don't worry about anything. I mean, we say that, but he was in jail. He, He was going through it. Right? He's feeling the same things we're feeling. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, when anxiety is at an all-time high, When the unknown and the fear of the unknown is rapidly driving your mind and your heart in the midst of that turmoil, we need to take a big time out. Call time out, whatever, right? There's chaos, there's confusion. And we need to realize that, wait a minute, I'm not alone. Wait a minute, I'm not expected to figure all this out. Wait a minute, this is not my battle to fight. Our battles may be overwhelming, but we're not alone in fighting them. 
through prayer and requests to God, we can lay our concerns before him. That we can lay our pain and our struggles and say, God, I, I'm, I can't fight this. I can't. That the expectation is not on you to fight. He said, I got you. It's on me to fight. Trusting that he will bear the weight of our burdens. Jesus himself, he says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He tells us, then Jesus said, that's how it starts. Jesus, like, I'm not just saying that. He said this. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at, at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and, uh, to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So let us pause in the midst of our anxiety and recognize that we need to take what some might call today a mental health day, right? To find a place, what I love to do is to find a place of solitude that remind us of the promises of God. Because the battles that he says he will fight are his promises, are his assurances, are what he says, I got you. It's not a thought and a hope that we had thought in ourselves that he would one day do. This is what he has said he would do and has done. To pause and rest in the promises of how he is fighting our battles. He has promised to never leave me or forsake me. To remember that in our place of rest. That he has promised to forgive me. And he proved it because he died for me on the cross. That I am forgiven. He has fought that battle that I can live a new life now. He has promised to pour out his grace in abundance no matter how far off I go. No matter how far off I think I can go to the point where he can't forgive me. He says, nope. No matter how far you go, my grace abounds. No matter how far off you go. I am with you. You cannot, you cannot out-sin God. That he runs after you. He chases after you because he loves you that much. That's a promise of his. That there's nothing I can do or think that will cause him to hide or stay away from me. He will consistently pursue me. That is a promise of his. And we've seen it throughout scripture and we've seen it, I don't know about you, but I've seen it in my life. And you're here in this moment because he's probably doing that right now. He has promised to return one day. To restore all things back to perfect order and love. Like it was intended at the garden. He promises to return and to restore all things back the way they should be. The hurting, the broken, the pain, the mistrust, the fighting, the war, the death, the innocence being killed. He has promised to return to restore all that back to himself. He is fighting our battles. He is fighting the hurting and the pain that is in our souls. He is doing it. So that makes us 
winners in what he has called his promises because he has promised to do that for us. So now what we can do is rest in that truth. We can now rest in knowing that he will provide what he has promised he will provide. Not only is it words, but he's proven it in times past, and that means he will do it again. We are a garden people. That means we were meant for the garden. We were meant for the ultimate rest and perfection in God's presence like it was meant in the garden. We are a people that desire peace because we were meant for the garden. And peace is not possible without his presence. And until he returns to make things right again, he has promised to fight our battles today and now. Because he's a promise keeper. But something I do say a lot is like, Lord, come. Make things right. It's so much better when you get back here. So in the midst of our anxieties and our fears... The instinct is to push forth and ignore the pain and to just figure it out and to just just go because that's what our society tells us. But the healthiest and necessary response in the midst of that is take a moment of rest. It will reassure that God is fighting our battles and that he promised to do so, to remember the battles that he promises to fight. It's hard to do that when we're just running and trying to fight it ourselves. And guess what? He wins. We know that he wins. We know the outcome. We know the story. He wins. So not only are we able to rest and remember that he wins, it will bring us not only rest in physical sense, but rest in our souls. So let us rejoice, for he is with us, right? So first way gospel peace is possible, that we rejoice because he is with us. Second one is let us rest because he fights our battles. We can rest now because he fights our battles in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our hurting. It's there. But guess what? He fights them for us. And third way that gospel peace wins is to remember. Remember for the ways of the Lord are good. Remember that his ways are good. Verses 8 and 9, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. He's telling them not only is this true that his presence brings us peace, his presence is what we need to rejoice, and not only do we um, rejoice in the fact that he is with us. We also are resting in the fact that he is fighting our battles. But also, how we then live matters. Paul encourages us to focus our minds on things that align with God's character. 
that when we meditate on what is right and honorable and praiseworthy, that we are reminded of the goodness of God even in the midst of adversity. Then he encourages us to practice, right, to practice what he, we have seen that Paul has done or that we have seen that Jesus has walked in or that we have seen the word of God share with us that is we, what we are called to walk into and how to live in this life. But I, I would say that's easy to say, right? Like, of course, like we can mentally understand that we should live this way in accordance to God's word or in accordance to the way Paul lived or or Jesus lived, or other disciples before them that we look up to and say, that's, that's how we should live. But in, hard, in such hard circumstances, in hard situations, in things that are coming against us, in anxiety, in the midst of pain, in the midst of, of people coming and wanting to fight us or, or, or battle with us, in the midst of a, of a situation that's hard, it's hard to take a stance of God's character in the midst of that pain. Let's be honest. I mean, it's easy to say on a Sunday, like, yeah, let's go and do God's, God's word. Let's go do it. And then we go, and it's like, whoa, I'm getting punched, right? I, didn't, I wasn't planning to quote Mike Tyson, but right, Mike Tyson said, we all have a plan until you get punched in the face. Right? We all go in with a game plan. Like, all right, on a Sunday, God's giving me his word. I know how to go and live. And then we go out, and we get punched in the face, and we're like, we're scattered. How do we then live? How do we then understand when we just got punched? A lot of us have heard WWJD, what would Jesus do? Right? That was like a little trend when, when it's kind of similar to this understanding. Like, what would Jesus do in the midst of this? And, and I think it could be helpful to kind of help us do that. But I want to, like, take it the next level because what would Jesus do? Like, Jesus was not married like I'm married. Jesus didn't live in 2023 like I lived. Jesus didn't have a home. Jesus didn't have bills like I have bills. Like Jesus didn't live the life I'm living. So it's a little different to think about what Jesus would do in that moment. But a better question that I think uh, was helpful is a pastor and author named John Mark Comer. He says, rather than what would Jesus do, the question should be, what would Jesus do if he was me in my circumstance and in my scenario right now? Right? What would Jesus do if he was me in my circumstance and in my scenario right now? That's a real question like, that I'm starting to ask myself. All right, if Jesus was married, with kids, had bills, in this scenario, and I have this hard situation, this hard decision to make, what would Jesus do in the midst of that moment right now? I think that's a better question. So as we think of that, it, it can help us grasp the character of Jesus in the midst of that moment that we are in. It personalizes the fact that Jesus not only is there with us, but he actually wants to give us wisdom in the midst of our circumstance. How can we grasp the character of Jesus in that moment? To think of what is right in the Lord and help us do the next right thing in that moment especially in moments of pain and despair. Like, okay, Jesus, what would you do in this moment if you were me? He is good, and he wants to give us a good answer. He wants to lead us and guide us.
I love this psalm, uh, Psalm 25, 8 through 10. It's going to give us the heart of God, the character of God, that he is a good, good God. He says this, the Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. You see, when we pursue what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, what is excellent in morale, what is praiseworthy, we dwell on these things that are characteristics of God. We then are understanding the fact that God is good and he gives good guidance. I think one of the hardest things is to really believe that God is good. In that moment, in that perspective, in that situation, he is good. To remember that he will guide you in his goodness. That he will give you the next best thing to do. I like to tell myself that. Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to do the next right thing. I can't think 10 steps right now. I can't think what the outcome is going to be. I just need to know what the next right thing is. What's the next right thing for me to do? And Jesus, if you were me and you were in my circumstance, what would you do right now? I need to know what the next thing is. Let's not get too overwhelmed about 20 steps ahead. But what would you do in this moment? So in conclusion, family, we've learned that no matter how hard the battle, gospel peace wins. That through rejoicing in the Lord, resting in his care, and remembering his goodness, we can experience this gospel peace. That even in the midst of pain and despair, gospel peace wins. That as we face life's trials and tribulations, let's remember that joy and peace that come from God's presence, the truth that he fights our battles, and the assurance that he is good, the path to gospel peace is not free of challenges. It's not free of challenges. But it is a journey filled with hope. It is a journey filled with faith and a journey filled with joy that transcends our circumstances, that transcends our situation. So as we go forth applying these principles that life in gospel peace in the midst of war, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of of anxiety, in the midst of, of brokenness of families, in the midst of brokenness of finances, of our situations, in the midst of that reality here and now, gospel peace wins. Because he has promised to fight our battles. And he is with you. He's with you in your pain. He's with you in your struggles. The Lord loves you deeply. The Lord loves us deeply. I'm just so grateful that he is with us, even when we are hurting. 
and that he promises to fight our battles even when we're confused or unsure what to do. And that he's good to give us the next best thing to do because he is good. Let us be encouraged this morning. Let us go forth and be a gospel people. Let me pray. God, we are amazed that you are consistently faithful. That you consistently love us. That you never leave us or forsake us. That you are present with us no matter how much pain that we're in. Lord, we even cry out and shout, Lord, why do we have this pain? Why is this pain and this brokenness still here today? God, and the reality is, is that you're just as heartbroken by it as we are. If not more. That you desire peace. You desire uh, restoration. You desire wholeness just like it was at the garden. And not only do you desire it, you promise to bring it when you return. To restore all things back the way you've called it to be. Because you've come and you've died. And you've set the pace for your gospel, for your good news through your son Jesus. And we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that we have a God who cares for our well-being, who cares for peace, who cares for our souls. And not only ours, but those that don't know you, Lord, you've called us to share this good news to the world to the broken, to the hurting, to the pain in our circle but also in the world. Lord, give us wisdom on how to do that well, how to love well, how to even hurt well in the midst of pain. How do we do that well? How do we allow pain to become opportunities of your gospel fruit in the midst of our hurting? We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you are love and that you are good. We pray these things in Jesus' name as we worship you. Amen.